0: there and welcome to episode 20 of craftish i'm vicki howell this episode is sponsored by sticker giant stickers are everywhere and every sticker has a story and that's why the folks at sticker giant love what they do they take your passion and help you share it with the world stickers are really like portable billboards because they can go anywhere at stickergiant.com you can get custom stickers and labels printed and out the door in 24 hours Sticker Giants offers free custom shapes, free shipping, and it's easy to order. Everyone at Sticker Giant is quality-minded, and stickers are their passion. Take advantage of a limited-time offer of 20% off of your own order of stickers with coupon code STICKERSTORY. Visit StickerGiant.com today. This week, I spoke with writer, comic book illustrator, and novelist Travis Nichols. Travis and I met over a decade ago through a cooperative of women that I was a part of called the Austin Craft Mafia. And since his time in Austin, he's gone from small-time crafter to successful San Francisco-based author and artist. During our conversation, we talk about being a guy in the predominantly female craft world, how he approaches each big project, and what we as a community can do to help protect artists' creative and intellectual property. Travis is smart and funny, and really, he's just kind of a cool kid. I can't wait for you to meet him. Let's do that now. Travis Nichols, thank you so much for coming on to Craftish.
1: Thanks for having me. It was great.
0: So, I have not talked to you, gosh, in years, and you've had so many things happen. Um, just, I've been so impressed with your work, both, you know, illustration and writing, but I want to go back to when you lived in Austin. Let's go back. Let's go way back. Um, and and when you were sort of just starting out as an illustrator and you were kind of taking kind of s- the equivalent of handyman jobs in the craft world, like you were the man that's,
1: of all trades. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Like,
0: <laughs> like I kind of think you had a shtick because there's not many dudes that were doing what you were doing. Well,
1: that's, totally. And that's the thing. I feel like I I felt like a little brother to – like these 10 just like gutsy just brilliant women and i yeah the the craft mafia was definitely where i cut my teeth and learned how to you know do a lot of this stuff
0: we'll talk a little bit about that talk about that experience talk about your introduction to that um for those that aren't familiar um the austin craft mafia was a group of um nine to ten women depending on when the what time period you're talking about who all had craft-based businesses and were just sort of kind of banded together punk rock style to try and promote each other
1: yeah um i'm trying to remember the order of things or how i i feel like i just kind of i kind of stumbled and fell into it um probably started with uh there was a there was a unicorn themed art show and i made a t-shirt for that and a few and a few other things and then that kind of became a small thing that I, I i started selling that at parts and labor i think was one of the first things that happened and from there i started meeting people um i i worked for jennifer perkins for i think it was like six to eight months and that was just the big i guess the doorway to kind of meeting the rest of the craft mafia
0: uh, for her business there, naughty secretary right, club for, so that that was body. a jewelry based business at that
1: point yeah, so I mean, that there, from there I learned so much about inventory and sales fulfillment, you know, branding stuff. I helped her with some product photography, and you know, that's how I met everybody and and ended up, you know, tabling at a few fashion shows and other events. Um, kind of as, you know, there there were even a few events that were like Austin Craft Mafia events where there was like a little like, half table where it was like, hey, here I am, like you know. And, uh, that was awesome and
0: oh where you would bring your cards and illustrations and that kind of thing and just and, kind of yeah, share a booth that. with us or whatever
1: yeah yeah shared a booth i don't know i i don't remember if like what was the incentive there was i it's not like i could lift that much you know
0: it was totally the muscle <laughs> it was totally the muscle you were the dude You were the dude. no i think that um i think that we all saw your talent i think that having a young attractive dude at your booth is never hurtful and i think that we all like um i think we all i mean the whole foundation of austin craft mafia was sort of helping each other you know rise and that would be a little a little hypocritical if we didn't help others rise (laughs)
1: Is somebody gonna stand up for the men of this community? You know what?
0: It was us. <laughs> it was us first. You heard it. So
1: inclusive. It's, it's amazing. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so you ended up. Uh, so you ended up sort of, um, you know, working some shows and whatever. And then I want to talk a little, a little bit about that unicorn shirt, the infamous unicorn shirt. But at this point, you. We're doing mostly illustration right yeah. not as much writing
1: publicly not as much writing publicly i mean i was always just kind of doing it but i i was doing you know like greeting cards like silly greeting cards and uh, i was painting a lot i had a studio in east austin i was doing art shows and things but the the sh- shirt stuff and the card stuff was was kind of the the entry point into the like craft uh side of things
0: and you started I mean, you started drawing when you were a kid right like you used yeah. to do pop-up books and that kind of thing
1: oh yes all of that stuff so the, the the art kind of extended from there but then um I guess the yeah the like handmade stuff was always there like the I, I feel like I, I mean I I never went a christmas or a birthday without somebody in my family like asking me to make a card. I'm always, you know, I was always having to sign the guest book and, you know, do a drawing, you know, that that whole thing. So that So that was
0: always your yeah, role.
1: That was that was yeah, that was my role and uh I guess the you know that the time in Austin kind of turned that into you know, uh an avenue for income and livelihood so where,
0: where did you grow up then
1: i grew up in texas i grew up in abilene texas okay. and uh, lubbock texas okay and so then it's
0: I, definitely different vibe so small town ish
1: yeah smaller smaller towns and then i moved to austin like uh, a year or two after uh i graduated from texas tech in lubbock and uh, was there for six years and you know as soon as i got to austin it was kind of like oh i i probably should have you know, gone to school here, but you know, Tech had the one-page application with no essay. <laughs> and I
0: just is that really?
1: Yeah, at, the, at that time, you know, I wonder if I it's still like brown. that. I doubt it. I was I was in no position to go to college, and, and I, I just went because that's what you do. But uh, I mean, I'm glad I went. But it's I definitely got my what I consider like a real education on the side of college, and like playing in in music and doing art. Art shows and things, and then after college in Austin, that that seemed like my real, like education, I guess, that I used in in life.
0: Yeah, on the crafty streets of Austin. You know what's just interesting though is, so your sister, if I remember correctly, has a degree in fine art.
1: She has right? a master's in museum studies. Yeah, and she and a bachelor's in uh, in fine art.
0: So, I'm assuming that she was also painting or drawing as a child. Um, yep. what what how did how did your pathway split so one of you you know goes the traditional fine art way with art and then you went for you know sort of more like technology
1: yeah that's i mean that's a good question we i mean my my family's very very artsy my mom's a photographer um my dad is a lawyer which i mean he's he's the writer and talker and uh he's
0: you know, i thought your dad was a musician.
1: He, well, he played trumpet like all through all through school. He could probably still get it out and play. I don't, you know, I don't think he could like sit in with like a quartet or anything like that. But like, he's, he was always a really good, you know, really good uh, cornet player. And he kind of forced me, <laughs> forced me into that when I when I was uh, when I was old enough. Um, so yeah, it was you know always music and 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 art around. But um, yeah, my sister actually booked my first. Like solo, like uh, art show that I ever had was at a gallery that she was running while she was in her undergrad. So she she got into that um, like curating side while she was in college, and then she and then she went on to get a master's in that and worked in um, a couple of uh, galleries and museums after that. So I think I think that just just from like running running a a gallery space in college kind of took her in that direction and kept her kind of like tighter to it than than i was meanwhile i was in college playing you know playing in bands and stuff and i think that kind of drew me more to i guess what i'm doing now
0: yeah that's really interesting because so my experience with your sister she uh she invited me to a museum that she was working for um several years ago in fort worth Mm -hmm, to do sort of like a crafters and re-envisioning of different art pieces that were in this modern art museum and my experience with her was that she was so open to letting the other creative person do their thing she was so open to encouraging that and she didn't seem to have any form of agenda or that type of thing so i can absolutely understand how what a sort of a lovely position that would put you in as a, as a younger brother to sort of thrive in that way, but still on the side, find your own creative path in your own way.
1: Okay, Vicki, this is, this is so funny. She's actually my younger sister, but all my adult it, life, people assume. Is she really? She is my younger I sister. Had no always idea. always assume because she's, because she's like, she can actually hold a conversation with a human being and she's like. You're doing mature. all right so far. <laughs> and she's mature, you know, and, And when I would, like, go back to, you know, when she was uh, managing the uh, Center for Contemporary Arts in in Abilene, I would come to town, and I would be the, the little brother coming to town, and, you know, I was... Two and a half two and a half that's years hysterical. older, Vicky,
0: I I, <laughs> I am an amazing researcher. I would just like to go ahead and put that
1: out. No, it's because I think she
0: was like a hundred months pregnant when I saw her. At the time <laughs> at the time you were still living the bachelor dream. I think I just yeah. made that assumption that leap that's really assumption. funny. Okay, setting aside my inaccuracies, no,
1: all, all of the
0: other stuff still stands <laughs> as a sibling. Yes. Yeah. Um, so talk a little bit about the parallel if there are if there is one to playing music and illustrating for you as far as creatively expressing yourself does one play off the other does one influence the other do they feel differently when you're working on them does it sort of exercise a different creative muscle
1: sure i i feel like i kind of just the way I because of the way I came into everything I feel like I still approach everything with kind of a craft like a crafter's mindset like when I when I pitch a book I kind of I present it as a whole package because I'm thinking holistically and, and looking ahead to the end product you know I'm um have you always about, done that
0: because that that's that's a really great skill to have I,
1: I you know it's it, it, it comes in handy a lot but sometimes it's I definitely get ahead of myself and I I stop short of you know starting because i'm thinking about i'm thinking about end papers to a book before i'm thinking about writing uh, okay the, the 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 interior of the book and and so sometimes there's just like so much and this is like a i guess this is like an add thing but i, I think about all of these little pieces and it becomes this kind of bee swarm instead of actionable stuff but yeah there, there is a positive way to, to do it i mean because right, i'm thinking about the like the peripherals and the other like side avenues. So like, for like making a living, writing and illustrating children's books isn't really viable at this point. So I, you know, it's like, what else can I work on that supports and feeds into that? So there's the illustration work, you know, shirts and you know stuff like that. So I think that's that's maybe the hustle that I learned from like the craft mafia more, maybe more than than just the like that mindset I, mean, I don't really know exactly what it is but um it's I guess it's kind of come in handy
0: but what about music what about when you're sitting down and you or you just feel whatever it is the creative itch or whatever do you tend sure. to go to your pens or do you tend to go to, to your guitar or do you t- does it just depend
1: it definitely used to be music more than anything and um but it was still always about like you know stories and characters and and weird ideas and music just used to be the thing that it used to be the thing that I would just kind of go to because that's what I was doing and I was playing in bands and putting out music but then I think the corner but I was also at the same time doing comics and things too and and I always had comics like mini comics like for sale at shows and I always had music for sale at like comic conventions. So that was kind of a hand in hand thing. But then the first book that I did was a how to for bands. And I think that kind of turned the corner for me. So then after that point, it was always kind of like drawing first or or writing first rather than music.
0: Well you you led me exactly where I was going. I I was actually so <laughs> surprised. So thank you. Uh, I was actually really surprised. You know, we we just talked about you've got these all these like super fun cards of like bunny rabbits vomiting, you know, rainbows. And then all of a sudden you come out you're the you're a published author of an actual like chapter book. <laughs> you know, we are all just hanging out and it's on punk rock etiquette. And it's yeah. kind of more of a I mean, it may be a bit tongue-in-cheek, but it really, at its heart, was a marketing book before all the DIY marketing books were everywhere.
1: It, yeah. It, um, it, yes.
0: <laughs> well, I always equate. I still talk about um, whenever I'm, you know, giving talks about social media or even just having conversations about marketing today and how it's changed. I always equate equate it to old school grassroots marketing that any garage band would do right. we just have we just have different tools now it's the exact same thing instead of giving each other you know handing out postcards, you're swapping links instead of you know and banners mm-hmm. and that type of thing and so for you to go from you know I saw you working towards your art and craft business but then come out with a book that was marketing based on punk rock, you know just the punk rock fundamentals of getting your band heard to me that Mm -hmm. really resonated
1: yeah and i think coming coming up from like and i and i know that you and 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 your team could kind of attest to this but like coming up from those kind of like punk roots really informs the diy like you know illustration crafting crafting well it's kind of all the same thing and the it's it's so funny how much that changed so fast because i mean like that my book came out in 2008 and then two years later everything was different and two years after that everything was different so it's one of those things where like if i were doing it today i i wouldn't you know be printing you know like trying to print this book because it's so out of date like immediately which was uh, i mean the fundamentals are still there and like the the like emotion of it is still there, but the uh, the tools, yeah, like you said, are completely different. I mean, I still talk about um, you know printed like printed posters, and I know there are a lot of a lot of places where that still happens, and I still see I still see flyers and you know like the pizza place I go to here, there'll be flyers for shows, but it's and they look just like the posters that you'd see in like you know 1988. At a pizza place and, and and I don't know how much of that is nostalgia or, or how much of that is still like That this is what you do But
0: Or is it sort of a statement like On being punk rock Like we're so I punk guess we're so. going against The new media
1: Right I mean but You, and you, can, say, you can say anything is, is The most punk rock thing in the world Because you can either say I'm holding on to this Because that's what we do Or uh, you know I saw a guy uh, This like street punk kid Wearing black Crocs, and I was like, you know what? That's the most punk rock thing I've ever seen. Because what's more like in your face bad <laughs> like than Crocs and black socks? Because he's
0: saying, "I don't give." Yeah, it's I don't give enough. That's yet. what it's
1: supposed to be, right? Like, yeah. And
0: <laughs> well, what are the parallels? Do you think with that attitude, with the general punk rock attitude, and and that that. You know independent crafters and artists have to have or creative types in general have to have just mentally yeah. and also from a marketing standpoint
1: i think well for me personally i it's it, there, it's about balancing mass production and handmade touches and it's about retaining personal control over my career while still working with you know amazing publishers other outside groups and And knowing that there are, you know, really awesome people out there who can boost your work and and make it better with you. But keeping in mind that you can't put everything and all of your control into somebody else's hands.
0: Yeah. Was your first big break, um, as far as illustration goes, when you wrote for or illustrated for Nickelodeon magazine?
1: Uh, That's the biggest... That's the biggest like moment that I that I consider. Yeah, the first. I I, I think my my mom called me and said there was a, a voicemail on my phone that. God, this was. Did I not have a cell phone? That's so weird. Okay, so my, <laughs> my it was like after college I had like moved home because that's what that's what people do now, and um, I was playing a show in lubbock i think and my mom called me right after and said that yeah that nickelodeon had left a voicemail that um they wanted to print one of my comics and that was just like mind-blowing the hugest mind blow
0: how did did they find you
1: i because it's not
0: like now everybody's got a blog
1: yeah and, and now it's like the the flood is is back but this was uh this happened when you know, I was doing conventions a lot. I was doing like indie comic conventions, like three, three to three to five a year, and um, I had a comic uh, on my table that was just kind of like Voltron spoof, but with animals, and they were vegetarian, like environmentalists. So it's kind of absurd. And um, I met a guy named Dave Roman, who used to be like the, I think his title was associate comics editor at the time, and. He he picked it up and, and, and I I knew him a little bit at that point but he's like yeah you should submit stuff to the magazine and so I submitted like a two page version of that and then just to round it out like a throw kind of a throwaway like one page comic about idioms and uh, they took that one which which was shocking at the time but now it, I guess it makes more sense from a I mean, it's like two page I mean this like, like this environmentalist Voltron was, it was, it was dumb, but, uh, but yeah, they, they picked, they picked up the, the, the one page that I didn't really think was all that great. And I guess that happened, that happens a lot. You know, you think you've got this brilliant idea and then someone's like, well, what about this thing? And, uh,
0: and you're like, oh, oh, really?
1: I guess, yeah. <laughs> you
0: know, Jennifer Perkins and I talk about this all the time um, about how, like, the stuff that we think is super awesome and probably is quirkier, people are like, mm-hmm. what? Well, but then, like, the most, like, the thing that we think is just like average is, like, the thing that gets, you know, that breaks the internet or whatever, you right, know, totally. um, which is a great. I mean, it is definitely, you know, I'm I'm not saying that you shouldn't do all the quirky weird stuff and stay true to yourself, but being open to whatever avenue gets eyes on your stuff so that you can then do your quirky weird stuff in the places you want to do it and how you want to do it also has great Mm -hmm. value.
1: Uh, Yeah, and and maybe that that weirder stuff that you're more in love with is is what brings people in, and even if they're not settling in on it I mean that maybe that's the doorway to the uh the thing that becomes the meme of the of the month or whatever um that's that's happened to me a couple times with uh with with my stuff like a, there was a greeting card where I I made holiday greeting cards and I had two and I realized I was like you can't have two I need to make a third and so I just could this kind of it was like a gift of the magi um but with Legs and a neck instead of the what is the original story? It's like a, a watch chain and a hairband or something. You, you know what I, I mean? You I know? have no
0: idea. <laughs> I mean, I yes, I know. Gift. Of Listeners Masa. will
1: maybe know. Um, yeah, the gift of the magi. It was just this car. I'm like, okay, here's a third idea, just so I can print three cards and and feel like I, you know, rule of three. And that third that third one that I just kind of cranked out in in an hour was basically the only card that that sold and, and I sold for kind of years on the side.
0: That's yeah you never know. Okay, so the interwebs are telling me that the gift yes. of the magi is a short story by American writer O. Henry. And it Henry. takes pl- it takes place at Christmas time and tells the story of Jim and, and Della Dingham, a poor young married ah, couple who didn't have enough story. who didn't have enough money to buy each other Christmas gifts.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So now now listeners know and they probably already did. I just failed.
1: <laughs> okay. It's uh we probably it's it's a very it's a very sad story. And I just brought it down for me to just make light of it and make it an absurd card and profit on it is probably a little distasteful. Uh so let's uh let's learn from this and move on. Let's
0: learn, move on. You know, I um I interviewed you years ago for a book I wrote, Craft and You were talking about how important it is for us to have connection with the things that we use and the food that we eat. Um, And you said that um, people don't know where food comes from. They don't know where their clothing comes from. That's something I've always thought about. When I look at greeting cards in the grocery store, I think, okay, where did this come from? I know someone designed it, but the trees came from somewhere and the paper was sent somewhere to be printed. There's no personality to it anymore.
1: Oh my God, that's beautiful! God, you're
0: amazing. Um, <laughs> how do you still this when we when we did this interview? You just had the one book at, out. Now you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, seven. So you have many. Something
1: like that.
0: Um, how have you and we, you know we've both been involved in the world of publishing where you can't; it's impossible. Well, it's not impossible. If you want to be published by a larger publish- publisher and not pu- self-published, you can't know where all of those elements yeah. come from.
1: There's a little bit of control you have to kind of give away. With yeah.
0: That. Will you talk about that? Will you talk about how you've. You know, I just had this conversation with Twinkie Chan last week, um, who's a crochet designer, and she also mm-hmm. did this huge line um, of products for like Hot Topic and Mod Cloth or whatever, where she had to relinquish some of that control because some of it had to be mass produced and she talked a little bit about coming to terms with that and and how she sort of balanced things out for yourself so I would love to hear from an artist and writer's perspective sort of the same how the same process it's different but it's sort of like that same reckoning I would think yeah
1: it's I mean and it, and it is difficult because it's you know if if I wanted to insist on okay well i have to i have to keep everything local or regional i have to you know there are ways to do it i mean there. you know i'm in san francisco there's greenerprinter.com is in the east bay 1984 printing is in the east bay um price wise i mean if i wanted to fully take control and print as many books as uh like a larger publisher did and really go for it that's i guess possible certainly but um there is a certain amount of, yeah, of, of control you do you do give away, and you just you, I guess I just trust that that the publishers I work with, like like Chronicle Books, for example, um, they're definitely responsible with their sourcing, and I know that's something that they that they care a lot about. I know, like even nickel like Nickelodeon Magazine, in its like Prime. Um, I think somebody working for the magazine just kind of like made a call and did some research and found out. Oh, we can actually use 100% recycled newspaper, and it's the same price. And you know, so of course the company's like, "Yeah, let's go for it." Um, I think I, I don't. I don't think you should ever kind of give up questioning and, and kind of seeing what where you can. This is like, the worst rambling answer to this.
0: It's question, not. Vicky. I, I don't think it's. Really no. I think it's but I think that it's an inner debate that many creative types have yeah. because there is a there is a certain amount of compromise that has to happen if you want to succeed as a creative person like if you want that to be your career
1: and some people would say that's you know some people would even try to argue that that's not true and I, and and I, As much as I think it is true. Well,
0: I think also, then we could also debate the definition of success, and both of us would be right, or, you know. Um, Right. So, I'll amend that statement to say, if you want to have the sort of, like, you know, stereotypical definition of financial and personal success and notoriety... Mm-hmm. At some point, there's probably going to have to be other hands than yours touching your
1: absolutely. Product, your and, and and I've found, you know, when it when it comes to just that part of it, I have found that almost everything I've done has benefited from having more more eyes on it. Um, every book I've done, uh, with I guess only one or two exceptions, where I, where I thought that every contribution that was made, every person who was involved made it. Made it better, so on that side of it, yeah, absolutely. Um,
0: That's a big it, realization.
1: Yeah, it, and it's huge, and it's it, it's where kind of like DIY kind of flips on its head, but it's it's almost kind of like you know do it ourselves, and it's this, and it's even better. I mean, I think that, and I kind of knew, I kind of knew that just from you know, like the Austin Craft Mafia. There, there's this power in. Sharing your work and working with a team um, that you you just can't do it on your own. You know, I could I can be in like hermit mode in, at my desk and cranking out stuff, but all it could take is um, you know Karina, my wife, saying, "What if you did this?" or you know a comment on a on the internet to totally spark. Something massive that, that that I couldn't do on my own. Because I mean,
0: there's this sort of creative ebb and flow back and forth that can happen. Yeah. yeah. And you can receive whatever you're ready to receive.
1: And now, if I'm, you know, and there's a difference between that and just like, okay, sure, yeah, do whatever you want. Cut down and cut down like a sense like a a baby rainforest to to make this book. I mean, there's there's a there's a point in the middle there where. Uh, You know, it's a big gray area, I guess, between those two extremes.
0: One of the books that you wrote was a young adult book um, called The Man.
1: Matthew Meets the Man, yeah.
0: And um, Matthew Meets the Man. And in it, the main character was forced to play the trumpet by his dad (laughs) instead of the drums, (laughs) uh, which now feels a little bit biographical. Yeah. Um, talk about this story a little bit. Talk about, uh, well, going from writing a book, and I know it wasn't directly, I know you had a bunch of projects in between, but going from, you know, a punk rock etiquette book to writing this story about a seventh grader um, who was very creative at heart and maybe nurtured to be creative, but not in the way that he would have chosen.
1: Sure. I think, like, my dad was always... My dad was like a punk before there were punks, and if he had lived in New York, he would have he would have been you know cutting his hair with a lighter and doing all that stuff. But he you know he, he grew up in Texas, and he just kind of had this. I don't know exactly where he got it. Maybe it's maybe it's a southern thing, but he always just had this distrust of authority, and um, I think I got that. I definitely got that from him, and so this. Yeah, the Matthew meets the man is probably the closest I'll ever <laughs> come to writing a memoir because it's it's this kid kind of coming up in this good kind of you know nurtured upbringing, and he. But yeah, there's there are, there is this system of control that is kind of trying to you know push him one way or another, and and it's everything from you know it's not just like cops and stuff like that it's yeah it's your parents i mean that's the your parents are the the first like authority figures that you that you encounter and and and, like push on you and and tell you tell you what to do and even if it's like (laughs) and and it's so absurd and it's such a like privileged point of view but it's like well you're not going to express yourself specifically this way like you should play this this instrument instead and and have this beautiful experience instead of the exact beautiful uh like experience that you that you want ideally and so it's about kind of um yeah it's about it's about rebelling and finding your own path but but uh but at the same time realizing that you know there are good intentions out there to be found and and not everybody is out to get you
0: will matthew do anything else in the future or was this his his one tale
1: I think this was his was his one tale. This was um, his song, son. This was a yeah. I mean, who knows what he's up to now? But I'm I'm not writing about it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we uh, so you talked about you know doing some of these you know projects that are put out by publisher you know larger publishers, um, but you still are doing smaller independent. Projects, I guess, to balance out, and yes. I wanted to talk a little bit about your experience um, with your sort of new. I mean, it's kind of an invention, your new game, Hecadeck, um, mm-hmm. and also your experience with again talking about how different things were than ten years ago with being able to do to crowdsource or crowdfund yeah. to make it happen.
1: Well, um, you know, when I started doing books, I kind of I kind of went all in on that and um and it was and it was going well and i was you know getting you know had a, i had a good toe a good toe in the door and and um, you know a few years into that i started i, I was kind of looking around and realizing that i wasn't doing you know i wasn't doing a lot of the other stuff that i had been doing and you know m- music was kind of was fully gone comics i i was barely doing anymore and uh um, you know Nickelodeon magazine was you know shuttered um and then a couple i just i kind of put everything aside and and then when suddenly i realized like okay i've got i've basically got a book a year or a book every year and a half and that's not really a good way to maintain any kind of momentum and so i started kind of thinking back on what what i the kind of stuff I was doing before and the kind of stuff that I, you know, I had lists and, and documents of online of like every, all these things that I wanted to do. And I just, I just kind of, I was like, okay, what's the big thing I want to do? And, and the, uh, the heckadec was, was, was what I went for because I, um, it was pretty far removed from, from book stuff and, and comics and comics work. And, and it kind of,
0: well, tell people what it is.
1: Okay. Well, the Heka deck is, it's is a deck of playing cards, but it's um, 160 cards. There are eight suits instead of four. There's the traditional four suits and then four more. And there are also zeros and elevens in each suit. And there are beasts beasts in each suit. There's a different animal in each one. And then there are all these other, like, there's a couple dozen other cards that are that are in there as well. And it's the whole point is um, it's for making, making up games and it's for kind of like breathing new light into games that you already know how to play. Um, And then there are also people who are excited because there are like traditional four player games that, that would require two decks of cards or a five or six suited suited card deck. So I, I guess I've been kind of like zeroing in on, on understanding what I've been always been kind of passionate about, and that's inspiring and enabling creativity, you know, through activity books and stories about creativity and you know, the how to guides and stuff like that. So th- this is always this this passion that I didn't explicitly know I had. Um, and I think that when I started working on the Hecadec, I, I kind of realized that all of these things kind of aligned. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited about it. It comes out uh, and like, yeah, it's, it's soon. Soon it's being assembled right now, actually.
0: So tell me, talk about a little bit about the prototype process for, because you, you ran a Kickstarter for this, correct? Okay. Yeah. So, but you had already like a physical prototype or at least. You did. I mean, in the video that I saw, you had drawn. something.
1: Yeah, I had it all done because you know this goes back to kind of thinking about things holistically. I mean, I have a stack, I have a stack of paper, you know, a foot for me right now that's all of the art for it. Um, I had everything drawn. I had everything scanned. Um, you know, color wasn't finalized, and there were a couple of you know kind of tweaks I was making along the way. But yeah, I made a I made a couple of physical prototypes, just photocopies, and. That was, you know, I, I really wanted to get a feel for this thing. And, you know, because the last thing I'd want is to make 2,000 of them and <laughs> like open the first one and be like, oh, this is terrible. And right. nobody, this is cumbersome and pointless. So I... I but I you really had
0: to do all 160 or however many cards you said you had.
1: There's actually, you know, 163 uh-huh. because you have the, like, info card and you have the, like... So you had to
0: hand draw all of those first just to even see if the whole concept was going to work.
1: Yes. Wow. I had, I mean, I had like lists and and sketches of, okay, well, there are this many of, you know, this many diamonds, this many knives, this many clouds, you know, I I had everything laid out. Um, I don't think I changed, I I think before I got to drawing and all, I I had it all figured out, like what what every card was. Um, So... So by the time I was to that point, there wasn't a whole lot of, like, you know, do-over and, and massive changes because of the pre-work that went into it.
0: So then do you just have it printed on sort of traditional cardstock, or do you go full Monty and get it printed exactly as the deck will be when it gets into people's hands?
1: You mean, oh, for my prototypes? Yes, I, yes. I just went to, like, Office Max or, okay. or whatever and printed it on the, like, thickest cardstock they had and then i like rounded the i have you know i used my little like craft punch like corner rounder and, Oh, you uh, cut
0: them individually
1: i did wow. and i tried i tried to do like three at a time and the the punch was not having it but then i um i asked around and i i found a guy who had this like industrial corner rounder and so for the second like prototype i made i was able to, to punch like 20-30 cards at a time oh, yeah. which is amazing and yeah. I, I wish I had more to round because that machine was very cool.
0: Are you also working on packaging ideas when you're working on the prototype? Is that yeah, so so for yeah. you since you're one to say that you think about all of the tiny details is this part of your original concept do you have a vision of what the entire thing is going to look like at the beginning or is it does it sort of evolve and then finally y- you you have that um you have that final product that's just come into fruition after this process.
1: Well, it definitely evolves. Um, there was a big moment of real, you know, I, I, thought, I thought about the box kind of abstractly and, and kind of like doodle a few ideas for the front because I'm like, you, you got to know what this thing is because, you know, people are going to look at it for a quarter second and move on or not. And, and so it's like, this is a deck of cards, but it's this and this. And so I, I worked on stuff like that. And then I think at one point I was like, "Well, how big is this thing going to be?" So I got, uh, I just I grabbed a deck uh, a deck of cards, and I'm like, "Okay, this is 52 cards. Mine is, you know, three a little over three times this." So I just kind of measured how thick it was, and I was like, "Oh man, I've got these like really thick sides, and there's just like extra real estate on this box." And so I. I kind of guessed at what the sides like how like the dimensions of the box because i didn't know exactly how thick the you know stock was going to be and i realized like oh i can put like full illustrations on the sides of on the sides of this box on like two two of the sides i can put four cards total and that's something that most card decks can't even do so the you know the front of the box has you know the title and like a front illustration and then the side, like two of the sides, have full, like full cards on them, and that was a that was a huge moment, I think, just in the, as far as like that packaging was concerned, because not a lot of, you don't get a lot of chances to do something like that to uh, work with your sides, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, and this this project is is so just fully you. Will you take just a just a? I'm fascinated by the whole crowdfunding yeah I I just think there are so many possibilities now that were never there before will you talk a little bit about sort of your process and the experience that you had with it
1: yeah well there are I mean there was a two or three week period of pretty intense research before um, before launching it and and a lot of that came from um, my wife because she's she's a genius basically she's smart at all of this kind of stuff and and she kind of <laughs> encouraged strongly for me to do a lot of research and so i um you know we, we talked about the kind of stuff that i should be looking for and so it, it kind of boiled down to uh 25 i think similar campaigns running across running across uh, decks of cards and so you have to know games. your
0: competition
1: you got to know the competition you got to know like what's worked what hasn't worked i mean i was like dissecting right every tier like what are they at, what are they offering the every tiers tier tier for level? what
0: you give backers because for right, people that so... aren't familiar with these kind of things a lot of the incentive to you're asking for it's kind of like donations but it's really to be a part of the process to help pay for mm-hmm. whatever it is and people have done it for tv series they've done it for artwork they've done it record label you know putting out records all kinds of things and um Usually, depending on the level of your contribution, you get some kind of something, some kind of prize or some kind of incentive. So I'm looking now, and it looks like at the point of this recording, you have 452 backers. That's a lot, did, of, yeah. that's a lot of people to uh, incentivize.
1: It's a lot. And I think one of the, one of the keys for me was the, the lowest cost of entry gets you the thing. You know, I I don't have some kind of massive- Oh, that's fair,
0: that's fair. Following
1: that that would just like support me because they want to support me. Like, it's like, I I treated it like a pre-order essentially, plus, and then, you know, we can go from there. And so that's when you can get into the like, you know, the shirts and the prints and all that kind of stuff. So I, you know, a lot of people, and there's a lot of debates on this online about whether you do the $1, the $1 tier or not. And for me, it's like, you can still do it even if it's not offered. But for me I wanted it to be like if you're in this you you want the stack of cards and that's more helpful to me and it's more and it, I guess it's more yeah so you're a, saying like
0: a, you started you started a lower like you started just a little bit higher of your, of a tier being your smallest tier like you started at like 18 bucks or 15 bucks
1: Yeah, 15 for the early bird. I mean a lot of people will do a campaign for, you know, anything from a board game or a to a appliance where they've got one or two levels before you actually get the thing and and that that can really add up and then and bring people in later down the line but for me just looking like at the competitive analysis of all of the other projects was was like oh this is i need to make if you're if you're like interested in this let's get you a deck let's get you a deck like that's yeah. Bottom line, and we'll go from there.
0: I love that your highest one is eight hundred and eighty-eight dollars, which is so random anyway. But then it says, "Oh, you're probably a relative. I'll see you at Christmas," which <laughs> <This> is classic. <laughs> and it doesn't exactly say what you'll get if you do. If you do do that. It's just yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah, you get some stuff. Some stuff.
1: I think I, I read somewhere that that you you can't donate more than your highest tier. I I, I could be completely wrong. So if somebody wanted to pledge $700 they couldn't unless i had a tier that was 700 or more oh, i see i don't know if that's true actually there, there's a lot of like weird conflicting
0: i just found out that you couldn't and i didn't realize that you didn't get any of the money if you didn't raise
1: what yeah, you were trying to raise enough. i had
0: no idea um there
1: are others that aren't like that like indiegogo isn't like that but you know when it comes to like manufacturing something if i didn't make enough to actually like get these things printed then i'd be in big trouble
0: right right and then uh, you have to return money yeah that, that could get messy yeah that could get messy so switching gears a little bit after you so you make these you do these really great t-shirts that you were talking about that were at parts and labor which is a, a store here that only sells local um, artists and crafters uh wares and i still have mine it's a it's the outline of the state of Texas, and then there's a unicorn in the center of it because unicorns. Mm -hmm. And I loved it. It's awesome. In the meantime, you know, you're a big fancy author, illustrator. You're writing for SpongeBob. You're writing, you know, for Nickelodeon, which we talked about already. Um, You're a novelist. And now, years later, I'm seeing that same logo around, but not put out by you. So yeah. I wanted to spend a little so – I, I mean, not to get – I don't want to like put anything super negative out there, but I think it's really important for professional creative types to talk about what they've learned when their work has been ripped off and how they're going to protect themselves in the future and how um, – just about their experience. I think that as a community that we can benefit from really sharing this information.
1: Yes. Um, this is – and and this is something that just happened to me too. That um, somebody was trying to raise money to sell a shirt on Teespring, which is kind of like a pre-order thing. Um,
0: like a cafe press kind of thing.
1: It kind, it, it's kind of like a cafe press plus a mini Kickstarter. That like you raise, you like put a design up, and then if enough people like pledge toward it, then the shirts get made. Okay. Um. And and because of that model, I think it's pretty easy to rip off an idea and get away with it because it's there's there. I don't want to like bash this company, but just from working or trying to work with them recently on this, you um, don't have
0: to say names. You can just keep it.
1: Found. I'll say Teespr- I'll say Teespring. Like oh, this okay. is like <laughs> this okay. is. I mean, it's a big problem. And, okay. Um, it, it it's hard to kind of like reach out to individual designers so to speak because um you know if someone's ripping off a design
0: so somebody so somebody and just somebody out in the the public found your design and decided they were going to turn it into a t-shirt no, sure, or the t-shirt. Co- or was, the company three different, no not the company okay, it, it, okay. the,
1: the, the comp- not the company at all it was okay. um you know it's such this is a massive this is a massive company and it and it, and so it somebody it's cool saw
0: your doing. artwork and thought oh my gosh i could i it. i could make some money if that were on a t-shirt."
1: And I don't know if they grabbed, wow. if they, and according to the Facebook profile I found, they're actually in Austin. So chances are That's they healthy. have sure. To, totally. And they sent friend requests to multiple, multiple people I know. So I don't know how they thought they'd get away with it. So I'm, I'm kind of feeling like they don't actually live in Austin. They found a low res JPEG online and they just kind of went for it. Um, but what was so cool is that multiple people reached out to me and said, Hey, I saw this is this you, you know, let's take care of it. And so it was brought to my attention by my, like, community, which which I think is great, and I think that's really important for us to do for each other.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's exactly the same as what you were saying about how you learned when you were working on books that it only benefited having more eyes on your project.
1: Yep. It only
0: benefits having more people have your, your back, right? So, yeah. Um, it takes a village to be an artist, man. It takes a village. <laughs> um, so that's sort of the big lesson is that, which is not even really a lesson, it's just keep nurturing your community so that you can watch out for each other.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I think sometimes, and I, I'm not saying that that's, that's the case for this, but this happens more in sort of my industry and in the knit and crochet industry. People don't necessarily realize that there's value and work involved in actually creating something. So okay. they see, I, I, like, I, I mean, I have to believe that somebody knew that that was not their artwork and did it but there's times where i i wonder if there's just sort of an ignorance about certain things being a job that somebody probably was trying to make a living out of versus just being like oh i saw this cool thing what if what if i got all these things made for the local shop or whatever
1: there's definitely some ignorance there and i don't know if that was the case here or not but um i mean you've got people plagiarizing speeches in front of yeah. millions and millions of people i mean there, there is there is an ignorance there and you know a lot of people didn't learn how to not plagiarize when they were in elementary school and there's so steal much more ideas.
0: information coming at us now too and this is by no way an excuse for anything but there's so much information coming at you every second of every day now um, I, you you have to wonder how much of that just goes into your subconscious, and you like where the the lines are. Great, obviously, you know if you did not hand draw something yourself. But I mean, just in general, I, going back to like the plagiarism thing or whatever. Like, if there are little nuggets that stick with you, and it, the lines start getting blurred. We've yeah. never had as much information come at us as we do now. We've never had alerts telling us that there was X Y Z happening over here, and then another alert that somebody liked your thing, and at the same time, oh, there was a shooting, and then another thing like so and so just won their twenty fifth gold medal, and there's so much at all times. I-, I just it'll be. I'm curious to know how the brain processes that and how that affects us as artists for our work that's yeah, appreciated, well, not getting copied because it's it's sort of like. Uh, Embedded now in the zeitgeist of a certain community,
1: it's hard to isolate ideas, and and it's I think it's harder now than before, um, because we're all you know, and a lot of people get the same the same informations, and they have the same source material, and that's why you'll have, you know, comedians. This is huge in, in comedy where they you know it's like oh this oh god this guy stole my joke or like, and so much of it is unintentional because we're all, you know, we're getting the same feeds sometimes and, and have the same circles and have the same influences. And so there, there is a risk of, you know, there's, there's the unintended ripping of an idea and then there's the ignorant ripping of an idea. And then there's the like flagrant, right? Like I, I want this thing. I'm not going to contribute to it other than just take it.
0: And I think the only thing that can be done is talking about it and not in a, you know, flammatory way, not in, you know, not in a negative, not, not necessarily going out there and sort of raising, you know, sending out the riots, but communicating, posting about it, saying, you know, letting people know what the rules are, letting people know what is and is not okay. Um, yeah, really is the only safety for it because there's not a lot of copywriting intellectual property. It's it gets it's, very messy.
1: It's hard. I mean I you know, technically speaking, if I if I write this is an example that like um, my wife and I talked about this like at length, like weirdly at length right before it happened to me. But it's you know, it's like I could write a grocery list and you don't have the right to put that on, you know, to put that on a shirt. Because it's, it's mine. You know, if I wanted to protect it. Um, I don't think the burden of ownership and copyright should be more on artists and creators than it is now. But I think that there's, there needs to be a little more liability. Mm-hmm. Um, especially from, you know, these big companies. I mean, it's, it's cheaper it's cheaper for, you know, Urban or Zara or anybody to just take down... 5000 shirts once they realized that oh yeah sorry this this was a stolen idea that we bought from somebody rather than investigate every single thing they bring in because of the scale of this company and that's unfortunate but there are tools to i mean you can do a reverse image search immediately online now so like i can i can throw the texacorn into like into google and find see if i can see stuff that's That's out there. That's not mine. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there there are a way and those kind of tools are getting better and better. I think that the, it's unfortunate when artists have to spend time and money protecting their work that should be spent creating their work. But that's, that's what's going on now. And especially because it's so easy to make stuff now and it's so easy to mass produce a t-shirt or, um, you know book a book a comedy tour and you know do somebody's entire routine coast to coast without it. you know it's the tools are there to make it easier for you to create and at the same time steal yeah so yeah
0: so i mean just as creative people it's just really important that you take ownership of it
1: totally i mean and,
0: it stinks to have to spend time like that but that's just that's part of the business of having a creative business
1: Totally. And I've had this Texacorn design since 2004. It's not, I don't feel like it identifies, you know, it's not like I'm the Texacorn guy and I, this is who I am. I mean, you are kind of the Texacorn guy. But yeah, it's been with me so long (laughs) and it's like this background thing. Yeah. Like I want to protect it.
0: Save the Texacorns.
1: Save the Texacorns.
0: New new campaign. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Travis. It's been so great. Talking to you. Um, I love your stuff and congratulations on Hecadec. It's really great. Thank you
1: so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. Bye
0: Travis's artwork, books, and new Hecadec can be found through his website. For more info and photos of some of his work, including the infamous Texacorn t shirt, check out this episode's show notes page at slash craftish. Thanks again to our sponsor, Sticker Giant. Stickers are a favorite method of marketing amongst crafters. There's something about seeing your brand on a sticker that makes it feel legit. So whether you're in a band, a motivational speaker, an artist like today's guest, Travis Nichols, or a teacher with a message, check out StickerGiant.com for affordable swag for your business. And don't forget that you can use Sticker Story for 20% off. Again, that code is Sticker Story. Craftish is a Campbell production. It's produced in Austin, Texas by me and mixed and edited by Dave Campbell. Music is provided by Explosions in the Sky. On the next episode of Craftish is pattern designer and founder of the sewing website made by Ray, Ray Hookstra. Until then, take a deep breath in and craft your little heart out. Bye.